So I want to begin this morning uh, with a, a couple questions. We talked last week about God being sovereign. responsible. So I want to flesh that out a little bit. If God is sovereign, if God is in control of everything, then why should we as a, a church have this mission that we're passionate about of reaching one more person with the saving love of Jesus? If God's going to control everything, who's going to come, who's not going to come, why should we, we be passionate about trying to reach one more person? If God is sovereign, if God is in control of everything, then why should we pray? Like, what's the point? If, if what's going to happen is going to happen, then, then why should we spend any time praying? If God is sovereign, if he's in control of everything, why should we invest ourselves in anything? Why should we feed the hungry? and be concerned and compassionate towards the, the poor? And why should we spend time ministering to, to children? And why should we be concerned about creation and do our part to, uh, to care for creation if God's going to do what God's going to do? On the other hand, there's some questions about us being responsible. If, if we are responsible and everything is kind of in our hands then how do we, limited as we are, possibly move the needle in any substantial way with so much need around us? And if we're responsible, if it's up to us, then again, I might ask the same question, why pray? Like Why spend any time in prayer? What we ought to be doing is taking that time and, and kind of just doubling down and working harder to do what we think needs to be done. If we're responsible and, and things depend on us, how can we ever know any peace? If we're the ones who have to calm the storm, how can we ever have peace in the, the midst of the storm? So the scripture teaches two things and two things very clearly. One, God is sovereign. He is in control of everything. One of our, our confessions, the Belgic Confession, says it this way. It says, nothing happens in this world apart from God's orderly arrangement. There's not a single thing that happens in this world apart from his orderly arrangement. And, and the scripture teaches that we are responsible. That God has created us with agency and he has given us choices to make, and he gives us his word and his spirit to act as guidance in the choices we make, and he says, do this, and it's going to go well, don't do that, or it's going to go poorly. So both of those things, God is sovereign, and what we do matters. We can, we can sum that all up with this statement. God is completely in charge, completely, and what you do matters. God's completely in charge and what you do matters. So last week we, 
we tackled sovereignty and responsibility as it relates to salvation. And we asked the, the question, who's responsible for salvation? Does God choose us or do we choose him? And, and we responded with the answer is yes. Yes, God chooses us. And yes, we are responsible for, for our choices. We're going to stick on the same subject today of sovereignty and responsibility, but we're going to look at things that, that aren't directly connected to salvation because this affects everything. And it shows up in the scripture over and over and over again. So join me as we pray. <clears throat> Father God, we are, are grateful that you are in charge of this world and we are not. We're so grateful for that. And we are also mindful that you call us to take action as your disciples. So we pray today that you would use your word to reveal your truth to unveil for us how we might know you more truthfully and how we might follow you more faithfully. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we're going to do this morning is look at a, a couple different examples from Scripture that tease out this this relationship between God being sovereign, being in charge of absolutely everything, and the fact that what we do truly matters. And the passage I want to begin with is, is one of my favorite that, that illustrates this, and it's the, the uh, conversation that Moses has with God at the burning bush. So uh, quick backstory: remember the, the Hebrew people are slaves in Egypt, and they've been slaves for a long time. And they've been crying out to God. And so God is determined to do something about it. And, and Moses is out in the wilderness and he sees this bush that's on fire. And yet it's not like being incinerated. And he thinks that's strange. And so he goes over to inspect. And as he comes over to inspect, God speaks to him from the bush. And so I'm going to just pull out a few pieces of that conversation. This is Exodus 3, starting at verse 7. God says to Moses this. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So I've got to imagine that once Moses got over the shock, if he got over the shock of God speaking to him from this bush, he probably was wondering, like, why are we having this conversation? Like, why is God telling me what he's going to do to save his people? Does God want my approval? Does God want my permission? Does God want my input? And does he want me to say, God, I think that's a great idea. And I support you fully in it. Save your people. He's got to be wondering, like, why are, are we having this conversation? God has declared to Moses what he is going to sovereignly do, what he's going to accomplish. He's declared the ends of what he's going to bring. 
But now what he's about to do is declare the means by which he's going to bring those ends. I'm going to bring them into a good and spacious land. I'm going to bring them out of Egypt. I'm going to do that. Now this is the means by which I do that. Verse 10. So, Moses, now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I would have loved to, to just see Moses right in that moment. Like, it sounded like such a great idea. God, come down. Save your people. You want to send me? <laughs> you want me to be involved in that? You want to use my mouth? Suddenly, this doesn't sound like such a great idea. Like, God, you know who you're working with here, right? I, I don't speak well. I, I stutter. I'm not that great of a leader. As soon as they start questioning me, I'm not going to know what to say. God, I think, you know, one, when you were going to do it, great. You want me to be involved? Not so great. Could God have accomplished this task without Moses? Just shake your head if you think yes or no. Thank you. You're with me. Yes. I mean, those ten plagues, did God need Moses to bring any of those plagues? No. God could have easily done all of this without any help from Moses. He could have brought about liberating his people, bringing them into the good and spacious land. But he chose to use the means of his servant, Moses. So let me ask you, who led the Israelites out of Egypt? Did God lead the Israelites out of Egypt? Kathy Quick thinks so. She's shaking her head yes. Did Moses lead the Israelites out of Egypt? I'm looking for someone shaking their head. All right, Clint and his dad think yes. God led them out of Egypt. Moses led them out of Egypt. God's sovereignty was working in tandem with, with Moses' responsibility. God is in charge completely. And what we do matters. God is determined to, to feed over 400 people in our community, people who have food insecurity. And every single week, he's feeding these people. And the way he's doing it is through the local food pantry, through people who are, are serving and people in our community who are supporting that ministry. Is God feeding the hungry? Yes. And is, are the people that are, are serving feeding the hungry? Yes. Again, it's this hand-in-hand -hand, uh, relationship. Do you think there's some other things in our community that God might determine to do, that God has already determined to do? That there might be some people in our community that he has determined, I'm going to adopt them into my family. They're going to be my son. They're going to be my daughter. Are there some, some hurts in our community that God has determined, I'm going to bring healing to that hurt that that person is carrying? Are there some strongholds in our community where the enemy has a stronghold and God has said, I'm going to push the enemy back in this area? I believe so, absolutely. And I believe that God is determined to use his people as the means to accomplish his purpose. God's in charge, he's doing the work, and 
he chooses to use us to come alongside him in this work that he's ordaining. So the, the next example uh, is only just a, a few chapters later. We're still in Exodus. Moses and God together, they liberate the people from Egypt. The Hebrew people are, are coming out, and no sooner have they left Egypt that now they've got the sea in front of them. They've got canyon walls on either side of them, and they turn around and they see Pharaoh has changed his mind. He was so happy to see them go, but now he's decided, wait a second, that was crazy. I'm going to go bring them back. And if they don't come back, if they fight, I'm going to go kill them. So Exodus 14, verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. And there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. Their instincts served them so well in that moment. They, they cried out to the Lord. This is a hopeless situation. They are not crossing that, that sea. And they have no chance against Pharaoh's army. And so they do the only thing that they know to do. They cry out to the Lord. To the sovereign almighty God, the one before whom uh, enemies flee. The one who said, let there be light, and there was light. They cry out to him, and God acts. God speaks to them, and he speaks through Moses. Could God have spoken to them directly? Did he need Moses? Again, no, he didn't need Moses. But he chooses to use his servant to speak to his people. Moses answered his people. This is verse 13 of chapter 14. Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. They will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to stand still. God was going to deliver the Israelites. I've often thought of this passage as like, you know, isn't this great? God does everything. We don't have to do anything. But that's really not reading this correctly. What did he command them to do? Stand firm. Sometimes the, the greatest demonstration of faith is choosing to stand firm instead of panicking and doubling down and running in four different directions and, and operating out of your anxiety and your nervousness. No, when God directs, Stand firm, I've got this. And so Israel stood firm, and sure enough, God delivered them. God is in charge, and what we do matters. So for the next case study, we go to the book of Nehemiah. Again, Israel is in captivity. This time they've been carried to, to Babylon. And there are some Israelites who are left behind. We call them the remnant. And every once in a while, someone back in Jerusalem would come to, to Babylon and report how things were going in Jerusalem. And so we pick up the story as one of those messengers has come to Nehemiah and is reporting uh, how things are, are going back in Jerusalem and it's not going well. The walls have been, been beat down, destroyed. The city gates have been burned. Nehemiah hears this news, and he weeps, and then he prays. Chapter 1, verse 5. O Lord, God of heaven, 
the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. So notice Nehemiah's acknowledgement that he is praying to the sovereign God, the Lord of heaven and earth, and yet he is praying, he's petitioning this God who is sovereign, who's in charge of everything, but Nehemiah believes my prayers actually matter. Why do my prayers actually matter? Because God has sovereignly decreed to be responsive to the prayers of his people. So Nehemiah believes these, these prayers, they're, they're effective, they're, they're powerful, and so he prays to God. Verse 8, remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. If then, we see in scripture all again, all the time, these if then conditional statements. If you do this, I'm going to do this. If you obey me, I'll gather you. If you disobey me, I'll scatter you. If you obey me, there's going to be blessings. If you disobey me, there's going to be cursings. This if-then relationship is acknowledging that what we do truly matters. It truly matters. And so Israel has experienced this, this curse because of their unfaithfulness. They've been scattered. But now God has sovereignly declared to, to gather them back together. So Nehemiah goes to the king, gets permission, I want to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. And so chapter 4, verse 8, he is now back in Jerusalem. Nehemiah is leading this mission to rebuild the wall, but there are people there who don't want to see the wall rebuilt. Israel's enemies. They want to see Israel weak and vulnerable, and so they're working to stop this project of the rebuilding of the wall. Chapter 4, verse 8 says they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. Now listen to what Nehemiah writes. But we prayed to our God and we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. We prayed to our God and we posted a guard. We had a trowel in one hand to build the wall and a sword in the other hand. So we might say, what, if you prayed to God and God is sovereign, why post a guard? Because what we do matters. Because God is in complete char charge and what we do matters. This shows up over and over again. Another great example is, is from Isaiah 38. It's about King Hezekiah. Hezekiah has this wound and he's dying. And he's praying to God, and God answers him and says, Hezekiah, I'm going to give you 15 more years of life. Your prayers have been answered. I'm going to give you 15 more years of life. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to make this ointment and apply it to your wound, and you'll be healed. Do you hear what God's saying? I'm in charge, and what you do matters. You're going to live 15 more years. Now go take your medicine. There are, are some uh, offshoots, I'll call them, of Christianity or, or even just some, 
some believers that I think are truly misguided when it comes to this. You know, thinking that if you really believe God, you don't need to seek medical treatment. If you really trusted God, you wouldn't take that vaccine. The fact that you took that vaccine is a sign that you must not trust God. I mean, under this logic, just play that logic out. Why lock your house when you leave? Why lock your car doors? Why try and maintain some measure of physical health if, if everything's predetermined, God's going to, you know, he's numbered your days. Why put money in a savings account for a rainy day if, if God's got it all? Why ever purchase any kind of insurance? I mean, what's the problem? Don't you trust God? You see how this, this is foolish? It's just taking one part of the equation that God is sovereign and neglecting the fact that we are called to be responsible? Believing in God's sovereignty is not an excuse to live foolishly. Is God sovereign? Yes, absolutely. And does what we do matter? Yes, absolutely. We don't have to explain it. We don't have to harmonize it. We don't have to reconcile it. We have to believe it. I'll close with this. Charles Spurgeon, this great Baptist preacher, was once asked this very question. How do you harmonize God's divine sovereignty and our responsibility? Like, how do you do that? And he responded beautifully. He says, I, I don't. You don't have to reconcile friends. His sovereignty, our responsibility, those aren't like enemies. Those aren't um, uh, in tension with one another. They're friends. They go hand in hand. Join me as we pray. Father God, I, I trust that your spirit has um, spoken to us today. And Lord, maybe for each one of us today, there's, there's a different application. Uh, for some of us who are, are just trusting too much in our own efforts, we're scrambling, we're spinning plates, we're juggling balls. Uh, Lord, we need to hear your word that says, stand firm. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. And then Lord, for, for those of us who may be using uh, your sovereignty as an excuse not to to take action where you have called us to be faithful. Lord, forgive us. Help us be faithful. Help us be responsible. And as always, Lord, our hope is in you and in you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.